kind of jump straight into it, but we're doing uh, Fruit from God's Garden is the name of it. It's going to be Fruits of the Spirit, which we should be seeing in our life. Now, there are uh, some areas of the Bible, I don't know if you've noticed this, they're a little bit uncomfortable. Um, There's, for me, a lot, you know, it kind of, I get caught up in things, and there's a couple of these areas like, oh, you know, when I say I believe the whole Bible, yes, I believe this, but it's kind of a hard teaching, you know, uh, there's some of that. Um, but I believe sometimes those areas of the Bible that maybe you kind of saw when you were younger and you walk away from like, ah, I kind of believe it, but I don't want to spend any time there because it's kind of weirding me out. I really believe that sometimes that's greatest, the greatest gift God has to you is waiting for you. Because as thing about fruits, God sometimes, you know, the way God designs fruit, I don't know if you've thought of this, is the, the way the fruit trees work is they protect the blossom and the seed until it becomes a ripe fruit and then it reveals itself is oftentimes how that works and God sometimes does that with his scripture with us so maybe sometimes we just weren't ready to pick that fruit because it wasn't ripe yet and so we have to go back to it and this is an area of the Bible that when I was younger I had a great deal of trouble with and I'll tell you why it's probably just me you guys probably have been fine with this your whole lives but this one's always bugged me a little bit here's the story it shows up in a couple of the gospels I'm going through the Mark 11 version On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, he being Jesus. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. That's like, that's Mark saying, he didn't mumble it, guys, he shouted it. You'll see why in a minute. Now, they go off and they do some things in, in, in town. Uh, he casts the money changers out of the temple. And the next day, they're coming back out, and this happens. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. It's like this whole thing is like not on no leaves. There's no branches. It's nothing left but root. And Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Did Jesus just get angry at a tree? and curse it. I mean, that's like, to me, when I read that, now I've never done it to a tree. I curse things sometimes, like uh, car doors, for example. You know that little tiny thing on the, on the lift gate of like a Jeep or something? I have hit that with my head so many times. I've cursed that more times than I can count. I've never cursed a tree, but every time I do it, I kind of feel sinful. Like I shouldn't be doing that. And this idea that Jesus goes to a tree and it doesn't have any figs on it, and it's not even seasoned for figs, and then curses it, really kind of made me uncomfortable. And part of the reason it made me uncomfortable is because when I grew up, especially junior high, we used to call it junior high, no, it's middle school now, we used to call it junior high. In junior high and high school, I started reading a genre of books that we call at the time sword and sorcery books. And now they're called fantasy books, but I read them all, you know, Tolkien and Brooks and all these great authors. And there's this kind of running theme that goes through these books, and that is that the magic user who has great power because of magic needs to have great character or else bad things happen. You know, that ha- kind of happens throughout. And it's not just movies and books. I mean, it's, it's very old. You even go back to like Arthurian legend, it still shows up there. Enchanters are just scary people because of the power they have. What manner of man are you that can summon up fire without flint or tinder? I am an enchanter. You know much that is hidden, though, Tim. Quite. It's all true. Did you notice that? 
they always go after the tree. So when I read this book, right, and I got to this passage where Jesus loses his coal and destroys a poor little tree, I'm like, man, that's like, that's like the bad magic people in the books, right? Here's Jesus with his great power, and he uses it, and he's angry, and he kills something. And, and I'm like, that doesn't fit my picture of Jesus. So I kind of put that verse, that whole passage away and left it alone for a while. I wouldn't come back to it. I'd skip over it because what comes after it's a very famous verse. And, and I'm like, oh, I don't really want to deal with that right now because that just doesn't seem like Jesus to me. Um, but here's the deal. You cannot treat the Bible like other books. It is the living word of a living God. And that means a lot of things, but part of it means that it will come back to you in season when it's appropriate. And so as I was kind of praying about this, um, I kind of came back to this scene where I thought we're going to start uh, this whole series on fruit. And I was trying to figure out where to go. And there's a couple obvious places to go, but God kept bringing this passage back to me. And I thought, I don't want that passage, Lord. I don't understand that passage, you know. And then I realized I can't understand this passage by itself. Um, you have to bring in other passages from it. And that's something very, very important. So uh, we understand that Jesus was here on earth and he was fully God and fully man. You know, we know that. But what does that mean exactly? And we have to kind of start there to understand who the Jesus that walked up to that fig tree really was. Uh, in other words, what is Jesus' mission statement for his ministry? Because he gives it to us many, many times in, in the Bible. In fact, the number one thing Jesus teaches us is not what people think. If I were to ask the average person on the street, what was the basic teaching of Jesus Christ, they'd probably say something like, he wants everybody to love everybody, <clears throat> which is absolutely not. Uh, but that's not even close. It's actually number three on his list, if you count number of verses he spoke. Uh, number three would be love one another. Number two is actually he talks about money. I hate to sell it, tell you that, but he talks about money second. But the number one thing Jesus talks about, bar none, not even close, nothing else close, I'm here to do the will of the Father. That's what he says. It's always about doing the kingdom's work. It's always about doing the will of the Father. That's his mission statement. I'm here to do the will of the Father. Now, when Jesus Christ came here, of course, we know that, you know, John 1 tells us he was with God in the beginning. He created all things with God. He was God, right? But in Hebrews, he they, they give us a little glimpse here. It says, the word of God is living, in, um, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Got this one out of context, sorry. Uh, so this is why we can't just treat it normally. So Jesus says this in, um, in his mission statement. I want you to see this. He says, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own. He can only see, he can only do what he sees the father doing. This is an interesting statement because it's kind of not usually how we think of Jesus. We think of Jesus, and I'm putting this in, in a teenage boy's view of Jesus, as the ultimate magic user, right? The most powerful magic. He's walking around, and he can do this stuff. Uh, but that's not who Jesus is. He says, I can't do any of this except that I see the will of the Father, and I'm doing it. I can't do anything without the Father. I can't do anything by myself. Jesus is saying, I'm walking here, and he's not, he has magic, he has righteousness. I'm perfectly aligned with my heavenly father and that which he tells me to do, I do. And because of that, I have the ability to do these miracles. That's what he's saying. Now, we don't normally think of that. I don't want to bump into anybody's theology there, but there's this other thing in Philippians where he says, look, we need to be like Jesus. Even though he existed in the form of God, he didn't require equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Right? So uh, some, some translations actually say set his godhood aside. 
Now, I know we're kind of bumping into some theology here, but what the Bible says is when he's here, he's fully God and fully human. What I, what I believe that means is he still has God's spirit. His spirit never changes. He has the same spirit in him on earth that he had with him in heaven. And it's a very unique spirit, by the way, because it's uncreated. God is the only thing in the universe uncreated. Everything else is created. So Jesus Christ's spirit was uncreated. He comes down and, and, and he takes on the form of, form of a man. But I believe he set aside everything else because he wanted to show us the law was not unfair. Now think about that. Everybody knows, well, the law, we all fall short of the law, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we're all condemned because of it. How is that a fair law? If I had a law that said when everybody leaves here, they have to be able to fly for 30 feet in the air, or you're going to be killed, is that fair? No, it's an impossibility. I can't do that. I believe one of the reasons Jesus came and did this is to show us it could be done. And it wouldn't have been fair if he could do that and he had extra power. So he set that aside and came here. But he's still going to do signs and wonders here on earth. And so that's why he says, I can't do it on my own. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me show you this real verse, this real quick verse in Luke 5. It happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. Everybody's watching him. And the power of the Lord was present to heal. So he began to heal. See, the power of the Lord was present, and that's why he was able to do that, which says that every miracle we see Jesus do is not just done with the consent of his Father, but at the directive of his Father. Now, we know Jesus would get off and he'd pray on, on his own a lot. The Bible tells us that many times. And I believe what he's doing is he's getting marching orders for that day. What is the will of the Father for today? And God would tell him what he's going to do. You know, re- ex- you know just show him a lot of things. It's called the, the gift of knowledge. And so he, okay. And I think this day, he was told, there's going to be a fig tree up there, and um, you're going to have to go and curse it. And that probably cracked Jesus up. Wait till Peter sees this. You know, this is going to be really, really, really funny. Uh, why would Jesus do this cursing tree miracle? Well, he says, I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. So if my father wants me to curse that tree, I will go curse that tree. So this changes the picture a little bit because he's not going there and losing his cool. He went there knowing he was going to curse it. He went there to do the will of the Father, which was cursing the fig tree. Why did God want the fig tree cursed? Now hold that, put a pin in it. We're going to come back to it. One more thing we've got to talk about, and that's fruits in season. You have to understand this to understand the rest of it. So um, recently, Victoria and I were sitting at a friend's house under this big shade tree, and she looks up and sees it for the first time and said, what kind of tree is that? And they said, it's a linden tree. She says, I know this tree, but we don't call it. We call it this other thing, which I can't read. It's in Russian, right? And so that's what, I, that's what we call it. This tree is actually wonderful for making tea out of. And they said, really? And they sh- she says, yeah. And so she starts describing the detail of the tree. And this isn't actually a tree. This is one I found actually in, in Round Hill Park. Ignore the photobomber. Up here, we have leaves. He th- thinks every picture is made better with a German shepherd in it. Uh, but we have leaves. I don't know if you can see, but there's a little tiny fruit above it too. And you probably can't tell here because the season hasn't really hit yet, but the leaves have two different colors. There's a light green, there's a dark green, right? And what's going to happen, and Victoria starts describing it, and they start chiming in. And so what's going to happen is these things are going to dry out the light, they're going to turn lighter, and eventually they're going to fall off the tree. And you gather those up because you can make tea out of them, but that tells you the fruit is ripe. And you also can pick the berries, and you put that in the tea as well. What was fascinating to me as I listened to this conversation unfold is we have two people from two separate continents who knew this tree by two different names describing exactly what was going to happen because they understood the season of this tree. 
even though the season probably was different in Ukraine than it is in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. They know the season, and that's how come they knew that. So now let me tell you about the season of figs, because something we don't normally know, fig trees aren't indigenous to the area. When a fig tree starts out, in the winter, it looks like a, a dead, dead tree. If you saw a fig tree in the winter, it's got nothing on it. It looks like a stick in the ground. But as spring comes and it warms up, it starts budding. And it buds with two things. It buds with fruit, and it buds with little leaves that look an awful lot like the fruit. Again, I believe this is God's way of camouflaging the fruit because it's not yet ready to be picked. As that grows, eventually that starts growing bigger than it can camouflage. And so the leaves go into overdrive and, and they grow a lot bigger. And they actually, will, the one leaf will break out into a group of leaves, almost like a clamshell. And as the, as the fig goes and keeps going through its cycle, as it gets riper, the leaves actually darken. So when you're standing from a distance, if you see a fig tree that has clumps of dark leaves on it, that tells you there's fruit on that tree. It's a sign to you there's fruit on that tree. Okay, so that's what a fig looks like, fig tree looks like. Now let me rewind this and let me, let me show you what really happened here because it's nothing to be afraid of. I love the first part, Jesus was hungry. How do we know that? Now it's possible the Holy Spirit revealed it to the writers, but this is in both accounts. Jesus was hungry. How do we know that? I think the most obvious reason is Jesus said, kind of hungry. You guys hungry? You know, and there's Peter. I could eat, you know. So I'm hungry. Sure, I, I am. And so he says, they look in a distance and they see a fig tree in leaf. They can see the dark leaves and bunches on it. That's a sign there's fruit on the tree. Now, the fruit may not yet be ripe, but there's fruit there. And Jesus says, well, let's go to see if maybe we'll find something on it. Maybe we'll find something that's actually ripened. Now, he'll tell us later that it wasn't the season for figs. But that isn't necessarily true because you don't know season by dates. You don't believe me, just go down to Triple B Farm and ask them when their corn will be ready. They'll say, well, usually it's ready about this time, but with all the rain we had, it, it changes, right? We, don't, uh, we, we, we declare summer starts on the 21st, but we don't know when summer starts. It changes depending on how much rain we had, when, when the spring let go. And so when, we, when he says it's not the season, it's not typically the date you would find figs, but that doesn't mean there's nothing there because we see with our eyes that this tree has those clumps of leaves. There should be fruit there. Maybe not ripe, but there should be fruit there. And so they go up to it, and they find nothing but leaves. Uh-oh, this is unusual. There should have been fruit there. Maybe it was green fruit, but there should have been fruit there. There was nothing there but leaves, and that's why he curses it. Now, what's interesting is this becomes a launching pad for another teaching he gives the disciples, which is really cool, but I don't have time to get into today. I want to stop on the one they pass over because to them it was so obvious what Jesus was saying. They're like, well, that was obvious. And they start talking about the next thing he teaches, but I don't know how obvious it is. Because a fruit tree that produces no fruit is useless. But a fruit tree that produces signs of fruit and no fruit is perverted. Because the purpose of this tree is to bear fruit, not signs of fruit. The signs of fruit are supposed to be there because the fruit is there. If the tree is spending all its time worrying about creating signs of fruit without ever generating a fruit, it's actually way off its purpose. In fact, it's perverted because now a traveler will come up to it expecting fruit and find none. And some of you, I see you nodding because you're starting to parallel this with our lives. And this is actually kind of scary because Jesus is going here for a purpose 
This is practical Christianity 201, right? This is the, this is the walking lab class where he's stopping. This is a physical parable he's showing his, 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 uh, his people because he tells us you will be known by the fruit. You will be known by your fruit. In fact, he says, don't worry if false teachers come up. It's not a big deal. It is our job, by the way, as Christians, it is our duty and responsibility to, to check all teaching to make sure it lines up with the Bible, and if it's not, we're supposed to discount it. That's for every teaching you ever hear, including the teaching you hear from this pulpit, right? Everything is our duty to do that. He said, but it's easy. I'm going to give you a secret. It's really easy to tell when you've got false teaching. He says, look, you will, be know, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from foreign bushes. Figs don't come from thistles. So every good tree bears good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So you're not going to see poison berries on a grape bush. You're just not going to do it. Likewise, if you have one of those poison berry bushes, you're not going to see grapes you can eat out of. It's real simple, he says. You will be known by its fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you'll know them by their fruits. Jesus is real clear on this. And he's teaching his disciples all this at the same time. He says, here's what you've got to know about it. You'll know, be known by your fruits. Here's the problem. Most Christians want to define what that fruit looks like. If you ask Christians, hey, you're supposed to be known by your fruit. Yes, I've read that scripture. Okay, are you known by your fruit? Sure. Explain it to me. Well, I do the best I can. You know, I'm nice to my wife most of the time, and I try to take care of my family, and I give money to the church. That's great, except none of that shows up on God's fruit list. And that's the problem. We, we do it as churches, too. You know, well, because when we started, um, you know, when we started Spirit Chapel, I've got all these books on how to plant churches and grow churches, and they're all written by mega church pastors, you know, which just makes sense. You know, everybody wants a big church. And the problem with them is they all kind of, let you know that, hey, your church should be growing. If it's healthy, healthy things grow. And that means this, there should be people more this year than last year. You should have more money this year than last year because that's a sign that people are serious. And you should be able to do things with the money besides just Sunday morning services. You should be able to help your community. You should be able to send money to missionaries or whatever. And, and so these are the signs. And the problem is none of those show up on God's fruit list. And, and I was thinking about this, like, I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, several years ago, the Pagan Motorcycle Gang had a clubhouse very openly in Sudersville, Pennsylvania, right over the hill from us. And you go there and a big sign up, Pagan Motorcycle Club. They, had a club. I, I, they may still have it there, but they took down the sign because like, you can't see it anymore. But if you drove up the road just a little bit, you know how the little signs about litter, this mile is you know, done by the, you know, whatever, the Boy Scouts or whatever. They actually had a sign up, <laughs> you drive the road, this mile <laughs> is litter cleaned up by the Pagan Motorcycle Club. Like, oh, okay, they're good civil servants now. But think about that. They've got members, they're growing, they have a nice facility, and they're putting some of it back in the community. Anybody going to confuse that with a church? You know, is that the model for a church? We don't get to define what is good fruit. God gets to define what is good fruit. That's the way it works. And it's in, um, it actually shows up in Galatians 5. And what I've done here, because it, it ends in a very strange place, and it, it's because it's taken just chopped up. So I'm going to actually tell you in, in the bottom what he's talking about. So bear with me. This is two verses out, out of order, but this, there's a reason. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What's he talking about? He says, well, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. 
So if, if you're led by the Spirit, you'll see this stuff. If you see this stuff, you don't have to worry about the law because you're being led by the Spirit. That's what he said. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, this fruit must be visible in your life. Must be. This is God's list of fruit. It is our job as a church to go out and bring people in who don't know Jesus and induce them and then to produce people who produce this. That's our job. That's the only job. And we are a healthy church if the people here are producing this. Whether that be one or 1,000. It's really that simple because this is God's list. And Jesus says, by your fruit, they'll know you. Now listen, there's a reason it's called fruit of the Spirit and not vegetables of the Spirit. Because vegetables grow in a season, fruit takes time. So, th- so some of you are new believers. And I don't know if I see that fruit. It's okay. You're a new believer. Jesus did not walk to that fig tree and curse it because it had no fruit. That wasn't why he did it. God doesn't expect fruit out of season, but he expects us to be genuine. The reason that got cursed was not because there was no fruit on it and was not because there was unripe fruit on it because neither that was the problem. It, it was proclaiming it had fruit when it didn't. That's why it got cursed. And we have to understand that, that God is saying, here's the thing. Don't pretend you have something you don't. If you don't have it, it might not even be a big deal. You may not be old enough for that fruit yet. He may be producing. You may have a flower in your life that hasn't turned into fruit yet. It's okay. That's all right. You wouldn't walk into an apple tree in March and expect to find an apple. It's okay. But if you saw apples that were fake, something's wrong there, right? And so, so many Christians have spent so much time building up the trappings of religion, they forgot we should be working on the fruit. Because all that comes out, you know, God creates those leaves to protect the figs automatically. What we need is the fig. What we need is the fruit in our life. If we have the fruit in our life, we're good. If we don't have the fruit in our life, we're fakes. There's a lot of talk right now because the church memberships are declining everywhere. I don't know if you guys follow this, but uh, Barna, which is a big, it's kind of like the Gallup poll of Christians. Uh, they did a poll several years ago, and they do this poll every so often. And they ask people to check off what denomination or what church they belong to. And they have a checkbox for everything. You know, everything you can imagine, Protestant, Catholic, independent, everything. And the very last checkbox is none of the above. For the first time in history in America, that checkbox was the number one checked. For the first time in history, more people in America don't identify with any church at all. None of the above. Scared everybody. How do we reach the nuns? N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. Well, maybe them too, but N-O-N-E, right? So how do we, meet, how do we reach the nuns? It became the big thing of the church. Everybody's worried about how to reach the nuns. And, it, and then when we found out it was hard to do that, we started coming up with all excuses as to why. Well, in society, I mean, what are we going to do? They got, you know, Facebook now. They got Instagram. They got on their phone all the time. Kids don't care about church anymore, you know. Uh, it's society. It's like, you know, just, you know, morals are shot now. It's, it's politicians' fault. You know, we got all these stupid laws now that tell kids everything's okay. It's, it's schools these days. All these reasons why churches are failing. You want to know why churches are failing? Because Christians stop producing fruit. That's why. Simple, clear as can be. If every church in America had, was full of people producing the fruit of the Spirit, we wouldn't be able to contain all the people rushing in. Because the people are coming up from the, from the highway to the to trees expecting to find fruit and finding nothing. Now Jesus tells us about that too. He calls us salt. He says, look, you're salt of the earth. But when the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing except throwing out in the street and trampling on the boot. 
How does salt lose its flavor? We've talked about this before. You can't. You can't take a Bunsen burner and make salt lose its flavor. There's only one way you make salt lose its flavor. You mix other stuff in with it. Cooks know this. Oh, that's too salty. Mix in some more flour. Right? You mix things into the salt in order to dilute the power of the salt, and that makes it less salty. Jesus says you start mixing stuff in that I didn't give you, you lose your flavor. And when you've lost your flavor, you know what you're good for? Nothing. They might as well trample you in the streets. Does anybody think the church is feeling trampled in the streets these days? The problem is in society. This society is nothing compared to the society that was there when Christianity started. Come on. I mean, have you ever, ever done a history lesson of, of Rome? Now, this is nothing compared to that. You can't possibly compare this. So there's nothing going on today that hasn't always been going on. The problem is we stop producing fruit. That's the problem. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guess what's going to happen when I come and find no fruit? You're going to be cut down and thrown away. Because you're worse than useless. You're actually deceiving people. Because they think they see Christianity, but they don't. Because this is actually doing more harm than if you just did nothing. It's actually worse than doing nothing. Okay, one more and then we'll be done. God is very patient though. And he t Jesus comes back and tells them. He talks about fruit a lot, by the way, in different ways. He comes back and he tells them this other story. This is a parable in Matthew 13. He put before them another parable. He says, look, the kingdom of heaven could be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody else was asleep, an enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds came up as well. And the servants of the householder came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did all these weeds come from? And he answered, an enemy has done this. If you don't think an enemy has planted false seeds in the crop of Christianity, you haven't been paying attention. It's all over. He says, that's, I, this is my enemy that's done this. Clearly, he wants to delude us. He said, but that's okay. Um, the servant said, do you want us to go out and start pulling it up? You know, we just start pulling up and throwing it away. He says, no, because if gathering those up, you may uproot wheat too. And this is a sad truth, but it's true. There are some non-Christians. You don't know they're non-Christians because they're, they're, they're giving you the leaves as though they're proper fig trees, but they're not. That are so convincing in their fakery that you think, I can never be like them. And they're not even Christian. But they're really good at it. Especially the ones you don't know. You know, they're on TV or something, or on a Facebook channel or something. It's really easy to fake stuff there. And, and you're looking up to them and saying, man, I, I can never be as righteous as that person. What if that got pulled up and you found out they're not righteous? You start thinking, well, if they're not righteous, what chance do I have? He says, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Let them be. Here's what we'll do. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, collect the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, and gather the wheat into my barn. How is that possible? Because I'll know very easily then the difference between the wheat and the tares. Be easy to tell then. All you got to do is look for the fruit. A little bit tough when they're still grass seeds. Might pull up some wrong things. But boy, when they get fully ripe, you watch them long enough, and you watch the fruit. It'll be easy. Anybody will be able to tell the difference. And I'll just separate them then. That's what he's saying. And, and what Jesus is always telling us is, look, it's my fruit that matters. We keep trying to plant our fruit, our seed, and tell God to bless it. If you just bless this, we'd be cool. You know, I want a church that's huge and brings in lots of money so we can do good things in the community, God. That's what I want. That's the seed I want to plant. If you would just bless that, we'd be good. No. You will plant my seed, and I'll bless my seed. 
God didn't bless Ishmael. He didn't say, okay, I'll just go ahead and take this one. He says, no, Isaac's coming. I'll bless Isaac. And we keep trying to get him to bless our seed, our ideas. He said, no, I, I've got my own ideas. In fact, the Bible's really clear on this one too. And I'll end with this verse. One of my favorite verses because it's such a hard verse to live by. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And the question is, what are we sowing in our lives? When people walk in to see us, what's there? Again, if you're a new Christian, maybe you just have flowers. That's fine. But some of us have been Christians for a long time. Do people see a difference in us? Are they seeing that list? In this series, we're going to go through each one of those. Probably not a sermon a, day, a week. Probably clump some together. <laughs> Although next week, we're talking love, and that'll be a whole sermon. So I want to define God's love to you. But we're going to go through this. And we're also going to go through what we're doing, which is choking God's seed out in our lives. So if you're not seeing fruit, there's a reason. And we'll go through that as well. I mean, I want this the whole thing. And that's why we're feeding everybody fruit every week. Please, by the way, eat that fruit because it goes bad. Please get the fruit and eat it. But we, we need to do this because we need to understand authentic Christians bear fruit. Let me put it another way. Authentic Christians bear authentic fruit. Would you all please pray with me?